The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How can you become a top seller doer at your firm, even in this new hybrid landscape? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I will be talking with Amanda Payne, Associate Vice President and Business Development Director at Horner and Schifrin. Amanda was previously interviewed on the podcast way back in 2015 on episode number 20. She has performed marketing and business development operations in the AEC industry since 2011. And in this episode, we'll be talking to her about the role of a seller-doer and how it has changed from before the pandemic to where we are today. It's a really fun episode and really informative for those of you that are expected to develop business. And really, that's probably going to be most of you at some point in your career. Now, I just want to remind you that at EMI here, we recently teamed up with Actions Prove and we conducted research. And the result of that research is a full report entitled The Present and Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture, an in-depth study of the state of the industry and talent market and how companies can compete in a fast-changing world. We covered it in the last episode. The report's available right from our website, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and it covers things like why is the great resignation ongoing still and how long might it continue to go on? What are the reasons people are citing for leaving their firms? How is stress and burnout contributing to where we're at today in engineering and architecture? Really interesting stuff. And there are some directives in the end of the report that people-centric firms have utilized and things that they've done to overcome these challenges. So it's a really, really valuable read. And again, you can find it right on the main page of our website, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. There's a button there to download the report. So please check that out. And then if you have questions, when we email you the report, just respond to it. We'd love to engage with you on this topic. Now, before we get started, this is a free show. And our sponsors, of course, help keep it free. So now I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. All right, with that, let's jump into our episode today and talk about how to become a great seller doer. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest on today's show, Amanda Payne, Associate Vice President, Business Development Director at Horner and Schifrin. Amanda, welcome back to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. 
So Amanda was on the show. It's been seven years ago now, which is crazy. I, I can't believe we're doing the same podcast seven years later, but she was on with Chris Knudsen a while back talking about business development. And today we're thrilled to have her back on because we're going to kind of update things since a lot has happened, of course, in the last seven years. And some things have changed with business development and more remote options. And so we're going to dive into all that. But before we do that, Amanda, maybe in your own words, you can just tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what it is you do on a daily basis. I've been with Horner and Schifrin for five years now. I've been in the industry since 2011. And for me, uh, my current role as Associate Vice President and Business Development Director is just you know meeting with each business unit, making sure that they have strategic targets in place. Everybody in our firm, especially from a leadership standpoint, they're all seller doers, right? So it's holding them accountable for having strategic targets. We meet quarterly, so they have time to be able to get out and meet with clients and not feel so pressured into quickly doing it, uh, but they have three months to kind of get out and do it, as well as kind of working with our senior vice president of operations. Um, you know, business development and operations go hand in hand quite a bit. So helping out on that end as far as when clients want to go a different direction or if we're bringing teaming partners in, I'm kind of also involved in that. On top of that, kind of working with the marketing department too. So outside of placing those strategic targets for each business unit at Horner and Schifrin, we also, our business development and marketing team work very close together in making sure that the proposals that we're chasing are, our go, no go is pretty strong, I would say. And we're pretty direct on, should we really be chasing this? Should we not? And if we are chasing it, are we putting our best foot forward in making sure that we deliver the best product so we can get that project? couple of real important points there. And seller doer is a, still a real buzzword in the industry. It has been for a while. We're going to dive into seller doers in, in a couple of minutes here. But also, I really like what you said about the go, no-go process. I think a lot of firms, you know, if you don't have that process in place, you could be spending a lot of time on proposals that you're probably not going to get, but you're just kind of going through the process of doing them because they're there to do. And that can really be wasteful. Obviously, working on proposals is non-billable time for professionals. And you know, you have to pull in technical professionals to help on the proposal. And so there certainly can be a lot of resources taken up on that. So it is important that your firm have a good go, no-go process. And if you don't, you know, you really should have a conversation conversation around that. So there's a lot of stuff there we're going to dive into some more. But Amanda, since we last interviewed you way back in 2015, you've gone from business development manager to director to now being an associate vice president at your firm. So first of all, congratulations on all that. There's a lot that was accomplished. But talk about the journey with us a little bit and what has motivated you to take on that kind of progression in your career. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, personally, I wouldn't be where I am without the professional support in the our industry. You know, we're in an amazing industry that there's so many great organizations and people that you meet along the way that uh, really help you grow and progress in your career, right? So it's not due to me as much as it is just due to the fact that I work for a great firm like Horner and Schifrin that um, one, they like to see people advance in their career. I feel like I've proven myself to them uh, in the last few years as far as being able to kind of, uh, when I took over as director, kind of, I wouldn't say change a lot, but revamp a lot in the business development side and even, you know, somewhat on the marketing side as far as doing things a little bit differently and changing things up and, and kind of getting some of the engineers who have been at Horner and Schiffen a very long time, which is a great thing, but getting them to kind of think differently uh, towards business development than maybe what they had before. 
that definitely, you know, helped me, I guess, elevate myself uh, within Horner and Schifrin because it was something different that they had never seen. And then on top of that, just being able to communicate with everybody within our organization. And I'm big on, you'll hear me stress communication quite a bit probably today in our podcast, but it is huge. I mean, being able to talk to each business unit leader and making them feel engaged and and not even just the leaders, but their staff too, and, and giving everybody that, you know, time for them to be able to call me up and, and you know, give me some opinions or ideas, or they might have a, a potential client that they would like to reach out to. And it's giving everybody that chance that sometimes I feel like, in our industry, certain um, individuals feel pigeonholed and like they can't really maybe go to a, a vice president or um, a director because it's overwhelming. And I never want anybody to ever feel that way with me. I, I don't want them to feel I can't bother her. Or I, I can't talk to her because she's kind of above me because it's not the case. You know, we're all a team and we're, we're the reason for our success as a company is not due to one person or even a group of people. It's due to everybody. I actually just had lunch with a good friend of mine yesterday in the industry. Uh, his name's Sean Stitch and he's with Intertech and also elevated in his career. And he basically said, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without the help of you and other BD folks in the industry. And I think even outside of our own organizations, just the fact that we have that support from other business development staff who we've all been in the same situations. And so how can we support each other and back each other up to make sure that we're all successful, whatever that may be, you know, it's different for each of us. It's huge. That's more due to my journey and success is, is my professional peers, as well as um, H&S being very supportive as well. That's great. And it's good to hear you talk about H&S in that way, because it's not a given thing that every company is really focused on growing their people. Unfortunately, like some firms are like, let's grow our profits, let's grow the company as fast as we can. Other firms recognize that if we want to do that, the best way to approach is really to grow our people, you know, invest in them and grow them. And so it's great to hear you talk about H&S in that way. Another thing that you said there that I want to dive into a little bit more here is talking about how you interact with the engineers and technical professionals and related to business development. And a big term, which you mentioned before in the industry has been and will continue to be seller-doer, which essentially means you know it's doing the work and someone that's also selling the work. How would you describe a seller-doer and the responsibilities of a seller-doer today in your words? It's funny. Everybody you talk to has a different term for seller doer, right? Um, you know, even at different firms, everybody's a little bit different. So I would say for somebody who is looking to get into a seller doer role in the industry, there are so many different elements that make up the term seller doer, right? And if this is something that you want to start working towards and, and you know, getting out more in the industry, which I encourage everybody to, I think that it's important for all staff to at some point get out and mingle with other engineers and mingle with other designers and and um, even just other people in the industry outside of engineering, right? First, establishing with your firm what a seller-doer role should be to that firm, right? Because everybody has a little bit different definition of what it should be. And if you're wanting to basically try to get involved in more organizations or want to maybe go to conferences um, or even present at conferences or just be able to get out and mingle with maybe some clients that you've worked with in the past, but you really haven't been able to talk too much because you're, you're more behind the scenes designing. 
sit down with your manager, the business development staff, if your firm has it, as well as some of the other senior level uh, team members and discuss what seller doer looks to them, what their role seems to be and how you can play a part in that. And the biggest thing is once again, communication, right? So communicate what you're looking for. You know, if you're wanting to kind of grow in your career and grow into more of a seller doer, communicate with your staff and with your leaders that you want to do that. And hopefully with discussing what their expectations are and what your role you would like to see be in, it's going to help evolve you and get you involved into the appropriate organizations and, you know, whatever you and your firm are looking for. And I think by doing that, that leads to a lot more success within your firm and kind of you working with them on establishing what that seller doer role looks like. Not just for seller doers, but I think everyone in their careers, you want to have a clear expectations of what does your manager want from you? What does your firm want from you in that specific role? You can't really achieve what is expected of you unless you know what that is. And I know it sounds obvious, but Unfortunately, a lot of professionals that I talk to, they are not very clear on what the expectations are, what their what the roles of their job are, and that causes some issues, especially when it comes time for maybe their annual performance review and there isn't really a clear conversation. So that's a really good point. Also, at a lot of these consulting firms, Amanda, I don't think it's even an option as to whether you're going to be a seller doer. I think you are going to be a seller doer and they're expecting you to do whatever they are expecting, which is what you need to figure out. So if you're working for a consulting firm, I mean, there is a chance you might stay technical and in a technical role, but I would say that most people end up doing the work and then being responsible for selling and bringing in work, just the nature of kind of the way that the industry is today. And so since that's the case, Amanda, what are some of the skills that an engineering professional will need to become a successful seller doer? And how do you recommend that they can develop some of these skill sets? One of the big things I would say when you start performing, you know, seller doer different tasks within your firm, one of the skills, obviously communication is huge, but on top of communication, it's, I think a lot of, you know, engineers and technical staff get a little nervous with going out the first time, you know, we'll be honest, most engineers are introverts. So striking up a conversation is difficult for them and it's nerve wracking for them. And I, being an extrovert, I try to be empathetic with understanding that this isn't something that they do every day. So I try to work with our engineers on establishing maybe some general easy, like when you first meet with a client, this is kind of what you say, this is what you can do. But what I tell most of them is business development is basically just developing a relationship with somebody and gaining their trust. We're not here to sell pens or gadgets or you know whatever, right? We're selling our service, but along with that service is gaining your client's trust. So that way they can come to you and while you're working with them and be able to let you know how they're feeling and, you know, what some great things about the project, but also, you know, every project has its difficulties. And so you want them to be able to come to you and be able to speak freely to you about that. And they won't do that unless they know that they can trust you and know that, you know, you guys are close enough to where you'll take what they have to say and be able to make changes or, or run with whatever their ideas are. Right. You know, developing that relationship is, is huge. And I tell our engineers all the time that it's basically just a conversation, especially when you're first going in for an introduction. You don't need to do a huge sales pitch on, you know, this is what I do and, you know, be super pushy. It's really just 
basically getting to know them and them kind of getting to know you. And then, um, you know, being able to kind of take it from there as far as follow up and which follow up is huge in our industry. Um, If you don't follow up with potential clients and even your current clients, that can be a detriment to failure. I mean, it really can be. So following up after you have that meeting is very important. Another thing that I really stress at Horner and Schifrin uh, internally, especially if you're a multi-service firm, I'm big on cross-selling, right? Because too many times you think you're going into a client meeting and you're thinking that you're going to talk about one thing, right? Because in your emails to each other, it's like, hey, I'd like to introduce you to this person and they're, you know, over X, Y, Z. And then you get there and it's like, hey, yeah, well, that's great. We really like that you have, you know, this service. However, we really need this service right now. And it's having to understand how to pivot quickly. And so what I tell our engineers is outside of whether you're a a transportation engineer or a water engineer or civil site or whatever you do, right? Understand you don't have to be obviously a technical wizard at maybe understanding structural engineering, right? Because you're not a structural engineer, but at least understand that expertise a little bit within your firm. So that way, if you're going into a meeting and maybe the client says, we really don't need your service, but what we really need is this service, you can at least speak to it, you know, and you can understand, you can talk to them about, okay, I understand that this is what you need. We've actually done these types of projects and have a a familiarity with a little bit of what each service that your firm offers does. So that way you can cross sell. And that's a great follow-up because then you can go back to the office and, you know, tell whoever is in that department that, hey, this client really needs you and I can do an introduction and get you, you know, in front of them. It may not be a win for your group, but it's a win for your firm because it shows the client that it's not all about you. It's about your company. I definitely stress also with all of that, that I just said, doing your research before you go see a client is also very important. So if you have an internal CRM system that you can kind of pull up that client and see if you've had any past engagements with them, that's important just because it gives you a little bit better understanding of maybe what you've talked to the client about and who's maybe been out there to see them. And then also do a little bit of research on not only the company that your client works for, but your client as well. So try to, you know, look at them on LinkedIn, um, you know, figure a little bit about them. Uh, so then that way you can be able to, to kind of have a little bit more familiarity with them and with their organization when you go into the meeting. I really like a lot of what you said there and to recap a couple of things that I thought were really great is that, you know, simplifying the idea of business development, I think is really important because a lot of engineering and technical professionals, it's not something we're taught in school. We're not comfortable doing this. So, when we hear about like these scary words like business development or seller doer, we're just thinking about, you know, we've got projects we've got to focus on, we've got clients we're servicing right now. And I think the idea of, listen, it's developing relationships and building trust with people or, you know, becoming that trusted advisor, which is a word that we use a lot in our BD courses that we give. That's key. And if you just kind of simplify it down to that and think about some ways you can do that, like through conversations, like you said, or connecting with people in other ways. It can just make the whole idea of business development easier and kind of more friendly, if you will, to engineering and technical professionals. So I think that that's great. And I think what you said about cross-selling is huge. I worked for a multidisciplinary firm for over 10 years. And I really think that that's one area that consulting firms leave a lot of money on the table because they're not doing the cross-selling. 
and you're talking to a client, that client has many projects, you're talking to them about what you do, maybe it's land development, but what about geotechnical? What about structural and other services that you have, environmental? If you just mention to your client that you have those other services and that you can help them in those other areas, you know, that could be thousands of dollars of other work that could come into the firm just by having opening up that door. It could be. That's such a huge, huge thing. In fact, we were just working on a project with a company where we created these career roadmaps. And one of the things we did was we kind of put a little summary together about each division in the company, kind of the types of projects that they work on. So you could talk about it with employees, like what kind of work you're doing, maybe talk about it with prospective employees. And as we were doing that, one of the things that hit me is like, you could use this just to educate the other divisions in the company about the work you do so that they could cross-sell better. So you could certainly create some tools around it, brochures, or just give a lunch and learn to the other divisions in the company about what cross-selling is, because that is an area where it's it's so important. And then the last thing you said, of course, about LinkedIn. I mean, there's so many tools today out there to give you the ability to do your research and find people and connect with the right people, especially when we got into this world where there are still people that are very heavily remote doing remote work, right? These tools are even more important right now. So that's a lot of stuff there, but those are some big picture things that can hopefully help you move forward on the idea of becoming a seller doer or becoming a better seller doer. And I guess another question that I can ask you about this is, Obviously, over the last few years, a lot of things have changed. We've had to do more business development remotely. So how has that changed business development, in your opinion? What is that going to do going forward? Or what are you seeing? Obviously, pre-pandemic, everything was pretty much face-to-face. During pandemic and and even post-pandemic, a lot more uh, virtual calls through Teams or Zoom or another virtual platform. So I would say in some ways, it's almost easier to get a meeting with clients because if you can do a virtual call, uh, you know, they can fit it into their schedule a little bit easier than if you were going to do face-to-face, right? Or go out to lunch or, you know, dinner or whatever. I do want to stress that it's still beneficial on getting face-to-face time with those clients because there's just something about meeting somebody in person and being able to really have that full-on conversation, right? And that full-on dialect. But I get it that you still have to tread the water lightly on there's certain clients that don't feel comfortable still meeting in person, totally understandable. In business development, you have to be sensitive to that, whether it's your own feelings or not, you know, you have to understand the client's needs and and what they want. And if they are not open to -to face-to-face, give them the option. Say, you know, when you're reaching out to them, say, would you be comfortable doing face-to-face or would you prefer to have a virtual meeting? And, you know, they'll obviously be pretty honest with you. Honestly, after that, once again, it's all about the follow-up. So whether it is virtual or face-to-face, making sure that you follow up after your meeting and thanking them and, you know, continuing to stay in touch to develop that relationship, that's going to be the most important with everything that's gone on the last few years um, with the pandemic. Now that, you know, post, I shouldn't say even post pandemic, because we're, I guess, still in it. But, you know, now that the vaccines are out and we're seeing all of this work, I'm sure, as you know, Anthony, all of this work flooding in and, you know, with the infrastructure bills and, and all of that, outside of even the client interaction, especially like at our firm, we are seeing more and more now, you know, the teaming with other firms because the capacity of firms being able to get all of these projects done is taking a toll on a lot of uh, engineers. Um, There's a lack of engineers in our industry right now. It's really hard to find engineers. Everybody's trying to poach engineers from each other. And so what we're finding is 
instead of we're not big on, let me reach out and try to poach you. We're not that kind of organization. However, coming up with, you know, teaming agreements with other firms is something also that I highly encourage, especially during the the pandemic. And even during these times now, I highly encourage you to maybe potentially look at because, you know, the workload is there, but the staff is not. And the last thing you want to do is uh, overwork your employees to where they want to go somewhere else because they're exhausted. So, you know, retaining and, you know, your employees and your workforce is is key right now on top of obviously the clients and, and selling work. So, you know, developing those relationships with teaming partners to be able to also uh, tackle this workload is um, another thing I think that seller doers should keep in mind. I know it's hard sometimes because you're competing on one end with other firms, but there's no reason why you can't combine forces sometimes and, and go in on a project together. So it keeps the, the sanity within your organization a little bit more. It's really true. I mean, there is a shortage of engineers right now, and it's only going to get worse because there's going to be more and more work coming, like you said, with infrastructure funding, and it's going to get harder. Engineers are going to get more stressed out, more burned out, and that's a huge problem. And that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, that we've gone through this great resignation. I do agree with you that the ability to get on with someone virtual does make it easier, which is great because you can connect with people quicker. But I do also agree that, you know, there is like a real connection that you can get with someone when you're in person with them that you kind of lose sometimes on that virtual atmosphere. In fact, one of the things that we've also done recently with a, a couple of companies is help develop these like hybrid work environment guidelines, right? Just to get a feel for like how their workspace is going to look going forward. And they are finding that, you know, there has been a little bit of a, a lack of productivity with having a lot of people out of the office. And yes, people can work and get their projects done, but it's kind of like that team cohesiveness and some of that communication that you lose when you're not face-to-face. So I know a lot of firms have established like at least team days or days where people are coming into the office to make sure that they're connecting with people. So I would just say to Amanda's point, you can probably do some more business development, make it easier at least to fit into your schedule with a lot of the projects that you're juggling. But where you can get the time to get out there and meet with people and get face-to-face, I think it will be valuable for you, especially if you think it's going to be a bigger client. I mean, absolutely try to get a face-to-face meeting. And the other point about teaming with other consultants, that really just kind of drives home the importance of staying connected in the industry and plugging in and really you know, getting to know other people, maybe through associations and other things like that. I know that you were a member of SAME. That's how you met Chris originally. And that's how you got on the podcast in the first place seven years ago. But I think that that's now also more important than ever because you are going to be teaming more with other firms. So if you get involved in like an ASCE or an SAME or one of these organizations and you're out there and you're meeting people, when it comes time to team up with other companies, you have that kind of Rolodex and that network that you've built up to team with those other people. So we covered a lot of stuff here on business development. You know, Amanda has that really good point of just keeping it simple, right? Build relationships and earn trust from others. That's really how you do business development, quite frankly. And the best way you're going to learn those skill sets is really to get out there and do it. And we do have the virtual tools, Amanda, right? That can help us now. Yeah. But they're not really a total replacement for the ability to connect with people. And so that's something to keep in mind. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to put Amanda on the civil engineering hot seat. And we're going to wrap this one up. We'll be right back. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right. We are back with Amanda Payne, Associate Vice President, Business Development Director at Horner and Schifrin. And it's time for the civil engineering hot seat. Ready, Amanda? I'm ready. 
So first question, do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? Maybe it's a morning routine or a lunchtime routine, or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? Try to take a mental break, you know, from work. It's easy nowadays to get sucked into, and I I do it all the time, getting sucked into, you know, checking your emails on your phone and, you know, even LinkedIn and all that stuff. Try to disconnect for at least an hour a day. I know it sounds silly, like, oh, but I try to give myself an hour break every day of like getting outside. And, you know, outside is just for me a stress reliever, right? Whether I go for a walk or I go for a run or I try to do something to just get my mind off of work. We all can get overwhelmed. And sometimes you don't realize how stressed out you are. You really don't. You feel okay until you take that mental break. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, I had so much tension. I had, you know, all this. By having those mental breaks, it can kind of um, refresh you. So when you come back to the table, you're feeling like, you know, you can bring more to the table than what you did when you were hours on end in meetings and, you know, checking emails nonstop and, and all that sort. So a specific time though, I know I have three kids and in the mornings, it's pretty much a a hustle of <laughs> trying to get everything done and people to where they need to go. So I wouldn't say it's morning. I wouldn't say it's necessarily afternoon. Mine's more like evening breaks of like, okay, I just, I need a mental break from all of this. So you know, for me, I think whatever works best for you, you know, more, some people are morning people. So that workout in the morning is what they need, or, you know, just doing something that you like a hobby. It doesn't have to be obviously exercising, but try to get away from, from work for a little bit. To that point of trying to disconnect, you got to also put yourself in a good atmosphere to be able to do that. And, you know, maybe get out of the house. Like Amanda said, I know for me about a year and a half ago, I, I deleted all the social media apps off my phone. And that was like, at first it was torture, but eventually it was I was like, I don't know how I would do it. I mean, I'm still on social media, but I just have to do it on the computer. So it kind of forces me to focus a little bit more on it. But no, that's a great, I love that idea of kind of just disconnecting. It's really important. All right. Is there a book that you found to be extremely helpful for you? I mean, there may be multiple, but is there one that stands out for you that was helpful in your career progression in life, whatever the case may be? I encourage people always, you know, reading is a great, you know, reading different articles to me, whether it's leadership, I I really do enjoy reading leadership articles just because of the fact that you never know everything, right? That you always can learn more in your career. So when you stop kind of reading about certain things or tips and tricks and capabilities that you can develop, that's, I feel like when you kind of become stale in your career, I don't really have one. I will tell you, I... Every day I try to um, keep up with, you know, the national news and even the the local news of kind of what's going on. I read the business journal. I, you know, try to make sure that I'm engaged in in what's going on, not only in the local community, but, you know, we're a uh, basically a Midwest firm. So I try to read, you know, things about what's going on in other cities just from a a business development standpoint. So we kind of know what's going on in those areas. I would encourage or those who are really starting out in that seller doer role, or you know, even if you have just a couple years of experience in the seller doer role, there is a book I would recommend. It's called Becoming a Seller Doer. It's by Jim Rogers. And he's been in the industry a long time. I've actually met him through SMPS, um, another organization I belong to. 
it's a great read and it's, I don't want a book where it's like, you know, 800 pages, but it's, it's a quick read. I feel like it's pretty easy and it just has really good information in there about how to either brush up your seller doer skills or just, you know, for somebody who's newer in the industry, kind of going over what seller doers um, should develop and, you know, other tips and tricks for them. So I know Jim well, actually, him and I did a lot of training together and I actually helped him out with the book and he, it is a great book. It's a, he tried to distill down some of the skills that you need to become a seller doer and kind of put them out there. So definitely, definitely a good read. So for sure. Thinking back on some of your managers throughout your career, if you think of your favorite, you don't have to name names, but if you think your favorite or your favorite managers, what made them your favorite? Just trying to understand, you know, what do you think are some of those characteristics of really great managers that you've seen in people? My current uh, boss, Steve Donahue, our president of H&S, he's been great in the sense that he really just lets me run with business development. He trusts me and I make sure to communicate with him. Him and I have a touch base every month, which I know it seems like crazy that, you know, oh my gosh, it's just once a month. But in business development, a month goes by really fast. I make sure to sit down with him and kind of touch base about what we're doing um, on the business development front. I kind of go through all of our different business units in the company and give him kind of a, a quick summary of this group is chasing this project, um, this group won this project, um, bigger initiatives, right? Not down in the weeds, unless there's something that needs to be addressed. But I think that's really helpful. And I think that that has led to a lot of my success within HS that Steve kind of lets me run with a lot of things and doesn't try to interfere and doesn't try to micromanage. So that's been helpful. The other thing about Horner and Schifrin is uh, I will say our leadership between our business unit leaders, our board of directors, our um, you know senior vice president of operations, uh, Gino Bernardes, everybody is so supportive of each other, right? But anytime I go to them with something that I want to address, or you know, I think we should start chasing this type of work, or whatever it might be. I have never had anybody close the door in my face and say no. They've always been very open and understanding to, okay, why do we need to chase this? You know, what are you needing from us? And I think with having that kind of backing uh, really helps in your career, right? When I first got into the industry in 2011, my first boss at Farmsworth Group, uh, Jeff McCombs, was amazing in the sense that he taught me so much. You know, I started out in marketing and kind of then Jeff approached me about doing more business development after a couple of years being at Farnsworth Group. And uh, so he really honestly opened that business development door for me. And him and I still keep in touch from time to time. He is a, a fabulous person in general. And uh, once again, he always was understanding. And anytime at that point in my career, I was inexperienced. I went to him a lot about, you know, asking questions and he was fabulous. He never got frustrated with me if I maybe did something that I shouldn't have done. He was always very calm and, you know, always there to explain what needed to be done and, you know, how to do it. However, he definitely gave me my space, right? So now that I'm a manager, I try to keep that in mind, right? I'm, I'm not a huge hands-on, I need you to do this, or, you know, I don't micromanage um, the staff because it's just not worth it, right? I mean, if you trust somebody enough, 
and you touch base with them every couple of weeks. I think that being open and being understanding and having that trust in your employees, you're going to see them be more successful probably than always being in their bubble of what are you doing? What, you know, why aren't you doing this kind of thing? So I would say Jeff really kind of helped me mold me into a big part of who I am today. And I thank him for that. If you were to get into an elevator with the younger professional in the world of civil engineering, based on your experience in the industry so far, and you only had about 30 seconds to give him or her kind of career advice, what advice would you give that person? Just letting them know that when you're doing business development, the biggest thing I have found over my years is treat others the way you would want to be treated in the industry, right? It's always unsettling to see other business development people um, treat competitors terribly in our industry. And sadly, there's people out there that do it. And, you know, in front of clients too, which is never a good thing. And I just think to myself, how does that look in front of a client? I just try to let them know that, you know, don't be afraid. Being put in an uncomfortable situation is a part of business development. Sometimes you're in, whether it's a meeting with a client or at an event where it's overwhelming because there's so many people, you're going to face some um, situations where maybe you're a little uncomfortable, but muscle through it, treat others the way you want to be treated. And just remember that you never know where people are going to end up in our industry, right? They could be at a competing firm now, but they could eventually leave and be the client one day or be president of something that, you know, you're chasing. And so being respectful to everybody and being positive too. I think, you know, we have such a, just in general, everybody wants to go negative right away. You know, if if you're too much work, it's negative. If there's not enough work, it's negative. What are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And being able to try to stay positive and pivot in those situations and come up with a new plan is definitely going to go much farther and help out others way more and, and be more successful than if you're negative all the time and you want to focus on the bad because that then trickles down to your staff and everybody else. And it can be a cause for chaos eventually. So Amanda Payne, Associate Vice President, Business Development Director at Warner and Chiffin. Thank you so much for spending some time with us once again on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amanda. I know we covered a lot in this episode, but I do really like how she distilled the idea of business development down to building relationships and really building trust, right? Becoming that trusted advisor. That's something that we constantly are speaking about in our business development courses and just talking with engineering professionals that want to try to develop these skills. Keep it simple, build relationships, build trust, and you will do well in the realm of business development. Just a reminder, don't forget to check out the report that we published, The Present and Future of Work in Engineering and Architecture. Believe me, if you're working in this industry, you're going to want to see what's in this report, what people are saying about the industry and how it's unfolding and what's going to be happening in the future. Just get it by going to our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Right on the main page, you'll see a button that allows you to download the report. And if you go through that process, you'll get an email from me with the report. I'd love to hear back from you on your thoughts. And if you want to talk about how it might impact your company, your team, please feel free to email me back. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. 
The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.